The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. Food Cart Pods, the country's largest craft beer scene, and great breakfast spots. This week, we're in Portland, Oregon. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. In addition to all that, we'll talk Portland donuts and Oregon Pinot Noir. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my friend Sandra Bernstein. We're in beautiful Sonoma. Sonoma, it sounds, it's, uh, it feels like um, spring almost. It does. It's so beautiful right now. It's amazing. Know, it's Yesterday was gorgeous. Yeah, and no rain. No rain. No I think, rain it, what did they future. say it was the hottest February on record? I think I so far, like know. like I'm on record, hottest February, hands down. Are you surprised? Uh, no, not really. No, I'm just wondering where we're gonna be, where we're gonna grow Cabernet <laughs> yeah, in the next not, 20, not 30 years. <laughs> not here. Anyways, Brian, we have a special guest today. Yeah, we do. This is um, welcome, John Sebastiani. Hello. To the bike goes on. Thank you so much. I know you're busy. Oh, my absolute honor. Do you have so a private jet yet? <laughs> Next Did question. you fly in? Next question. I want to go on the jet one day. Can I? Oh, you're, you're too kind to me. I know. Um, so I guess just without a huge amount of conversation, John and I go back over 23 years ago when I was at Beyonce Winery, and he was my boss. He was a very nice boss, actually. You were. I appreciate you, you that. You were. No, you were. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what I was doing back then, but I, no, I, but, I followed but you instinct. Were. It was, no, it was cool. It was, a, it was an interesting four years for me. But, um, but then it's so interesting. We've come full circle 20-some years later in that the girl in the fig caters has actually been doing lots of stuff with Fiance the last three, four years, whether it's pizza or casual catering or deli food. So it's, it's really funny for us. To go, wow, you know, it's such a small town, and that's where we are. I know, that's Sonoma, right? Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. So, but but even more, I mean, you you have done so much in your life, and you were s- still so young. You have so much more to do. But it is amazing, your company, Sonoma Brands, and I think our listeners probably want to hear, you know, what is Sonoma Brands? What do you do? How do you find products? But I'll let you kind of introduce your company. Thank you. And again, <laughs> terrific to be here. So, you know, in between Beyonce and Sonoma Brands, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit, Crave, which was sort of the the changing of my life experience and and was the culmination of so many great learnings from the wine industry. But after Crave, when we sold the company to the Hershey Company in 2015, I realized that by building that company, we had developed a playbook and that I was exposed to what was happening inside food and beverage in America. In that the macro trends that were taking place, which is that the consumer wants more health and wellness, 
They want more transparency in their ingredients. They want more eco-friendly packaging. And for the first time, they're willing to pay a premium price point for this product. And the, the macro stats are, are breathtaking. The millennial generation is the first generation that is spending more. Their income, as a, more as a percentage of their income on food and beverage than any other segment. That's more than entertainment, technology, anything else. Gen Z is now beginning to prioritize food as one of the most important disposable income spends. So the macro trends are delivering a consumer that's willing to pay a premium, that's demanding all of these better for you products and big food, if you will, the big strategic publicly traded companies can't innovate. So it's left this great opportunity for innovators and entrepreneurs to step in and create. And so after Crave, I felt like I had the relationships with all the retailers and distributors and the media to innovate and to invest. So Sonoma Brands now is both an incubator in and investor in better for you consumer products, which includes food, beverage, and personal care. Right now, we have 14 portfolio companies. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. You know, it, it just happened. It, so with Crave, well, I mean... And so will you remind people what Crave is in case there's two people out there that don't know? Right. Crave, K-R-A-V-E. Right. Yeah, so Crave is a... Was a is a better is for a. you jerk, yes. <laughs> when it was in there, my uh, right? little baby, uh, it, it's a better for you premium meat snacks company. Now, how because it started small, I mean, yeah. I think your mom helped with recipes or somebody helped. With, I mean, you just started like in the kitchen, yeah. So, this is a story I love. I mean, it it's obviously the wine business as a part of my family was, was a bit of a mixed blessing, right? The winery was sold in 2005. It was, I never in my career did I anticipate not working in the wine business. Right. It's all I knew. Mm -hmm. My identity was like completely wrapped up into it and it was a part of a family business. So it was even more thorny in some ways, mm -hmm. but also emblematic of who I was. And, and so when that sold, it was like, a really dark moment for me to, to figure out how I was going to reinvent myself. What I knew that I didn't want to do is go back into the wine business. I just couldn't handle the challenge of trying to differentiate our winery from right. the thousands of right. other wineries out there. I just felt like I was ready for something new. Um, at the same time, during this period of time, I was like really getting into running marathons and you know, for all the Sonoma listeners, uh, we all love uh, Angelo's as a great place to go mm -hmm. get a deli sandwich, but also their jerky, jerky is like <laughs> the best. I mean, oh my God, when I went to college, I bought like five pounds of oh. it to take with me. And it's so, what, like, it's like $17 a pound yeah. right now. It's like it's, unbelievable. Yeah. Have you ever had it? No. Oh, we need to get Angelo oh, on. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Absolutely. my God. And so I, I was like, as I was training for the New York City Marathon, I was like eating this product. I was snacking on it and trying to get my body fat down as low as I could because, again, protein is very important. 
uh, a paleo uh, diet is is a way to get your muscle mass in shape. Are you on paleo weight. now? I'm on paleo right now. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. I'm on, actually officially on Whole 30, which is even you're on Whole 30. So no sugar, no dairy, no legumes. Wow. No grains. Anyway, so Crave was born. Uh, fortuitously out of this desire to chase a better for you product that I found that didn't exist in the marketplace. I had no idea really what I was doing other than bringing to the table years of experience in the wine space, in the food space of mm. talking and romanticizing products mm. and heroing the manufacturing process and knowing that vineyard designate or reserve or all of these marketing terms mean mm -hmm. something and going into this jerky space, which was a nascent, tired, stale category where the brands Gas stations really, there was no innovation. <laughs> <Slam jam>. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, there it was, uh -huh. it was by and large a male blue collar dominated consumer with, mm -hmm. with nothing. And, we ushered in these new flavors that were meant to be more culinary forward. Our packaging was more inviting to a broad consumer base, including women. Uh, the focus of the brand, our competitive set, was not Slim Jim or Jack Links. I wanted to position the brand more as a replacement to a Cliff, uh, <coughs> Cliff mm -hmm. Bar or Chobani Greek Yogurt in that health space, that wellness space. How, how is it more healthy? Is there less less sugar, uh, okay. <coughs> less in carbohydrates? The mm -hmm. Yeah, and protein. And so and I think when you look at protein, and now protein's everywhere, right? We've we've been in a ten-year trend cycle of protein, but at that time, heroing protein as a portable snack on the go was you know a, a newer mm -hmm. trend. Um, so. I just jumped into it. Yeah, my mom, Vicky, was was around me, kind of giving me some thoughts on Thank recipe you. development, uh, pairing suggestions. There was very much a wine theme that we would do a wine and jerky pairing. We just had we did fun. do we did an event at um, was it imagery? Yeah, yeah, that's right. we did that event where we came up with four different recipes of the four different four different ones of the jerky. Yeah. We made recipes using it, not as jerky, but as an ingredient. Oh, interesting. And yeah. did wine pairings. And there was a, um, who was your sports guy for that? Vernon Davis. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, was, he there. was there. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a fun event. And so we, we just had this brand that was now this you know, innovator inside the stale category. And it, it took a couple years to, to get off the ground. And I was, I feel like an angel landed on my shoulder when, when Jens Hoy, um, who I was sharing some ideas with when he was general manager at Eldorado Kitchen. Um, and he, after monitoring what was happening and really seeing the the brand and the product come to life just dove in head first and joined mm -hmm. me in the early days my wife carol was a massive cheerleader and Aww. really you know really knowing that i was going into a brand new you know i was in my mid-30s i wasn't I know. you know we had kids i mean it was a mortgage right it's it's 
Yeah, no, it's real life. It's real <laughs> scary sometimes and when you're. Were you getting your MBA at that and time? And I was getting my MBA. And you MBA were going back and forth. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know how you did it. I mean, Sandra, we could go Seriously. into the, the psychology yeah. of, of starting a business because there's a lot there <laughs> and, the, and managing fear mm-hmm. and self doubt and, and the perseverance it takes to make it. Mm-hmm. But in this town, you can imagine. You know, in some of the social circles or oh. events of like, well, John, what are you doing these days? Yeah. And it's kind of, it was, it was really hard to get that out of my mouth for the first couple yeah. of years because people just didn't understand what I was doing. And when they heard I was getting into the jerky business, I mean, you could just see, <laughs> you could see people's eyes yeah. roll. They couldn't yeah. control their body language. It would be right. like, you're, oh, oh. <laughs> Is it infused with wine? Good, good uh, luck with that, John. Yeah. Like, poor guy. <laughs> but I mean, what a success story! I mean, yeah. so incredible, and I mean, successful in its own. Just as you built that company, and I mean, honestly, there were times where I would run into you, and you would go, "How are things going?" And we would just talk about sales for a minute. And he's like, "You were like, yeah, I can't remember the numbers, but you're like, yeah, we only have seven employees and we did like 10 million dollars and i'm thinking oh my god i have 200 employees and we did five million dollars like what is going on here how do i change that but i mean even before you sold it i mean success story just in its own from taking something from absolutely nothing and turning it into something that's worldwide recognized it was definitely um a rocket ship and we hit hit uh, you know a narrative in the marketplace where retailers and consumers fell in love with the product and in the brand and it really we rode this wave of protein snacking and it it was insane i mean we were doubling year after mm-hmm. year after year after year and it really as i reflect back on it in great moments like this it was like a five, it was only five years from the day we started yeah, it's to incredible. the day that Hershey, you know, showed up at my trade show booth one day and said, we want to buy oh your company. Oh my God, that's how it happened? They yeah, just... we were, I was, so the, the business, I knew like three or four years in when we were, uh, we went like, it took us five years to, excuse me, it took us three years to get to 5 million, mm-hmm. but then we went from 5 million to 17 million to 35 million to 75 million. So it, it was like like that inconceivable to me. Hockey stick, right. Of just like, wow, everybody wanted it. The phone wouldn't stop ringing type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so we knew we were really, really onto something and we had actually received one inbound unsolicited offer before Hershey, which, you know, I wrestled with, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. that difficult to say no. But when Hershey came along, I was at a trade show in Las Vegas, and the president of the company just kind of showed up, and Mm. uh, I knew she wanted to swing by and say hello, but I wasn't prepared for really the bluntness of, well, we'd like to buy your company. And I said, well, it's not for sale. I said, well, what would the number have to be for it to be for (laughs) sale? And, you know, one of these moments that we all, like, dream about, and it was inconceivable because I never started this with the intention of like selling it. All I knew was, was family business for, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was a part of our marketing, right? The heritage and the multi-generations. And, but this was something that, you know, I wanted for me to put my own journey on the map. 
Um, obviously, it was a number that was really hard to say no to. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot there we could talk about if we want. But we sold the company to, the, her, to Hershey. And, and and did you stay on with them for a little bit? Or I they did. Didn't, so, you didn't need to. One of the things that, you know, for both of us, right, and, and this podcast is is Sonoma. And I, I have a lot of of love for this town. It's a very, very special place. Uh, it's our small town, uh, but it means so much. And I think the history of our town and even to today, we are innovators, all of mm-hmm. us, and entrepreneurs in one way or another. And it was an important characteristic of the deal uh, to me to keep the business in Sonoma. And when Hershey came and said, absolutely, we want to retain mm-hmm. Crave's home in Sonoma. In fact, we want to build around it. Mm-hmm. And so that was a cornerstone component of the deal. And together, we rebuilt the Index Tribune building. So right. many people that drive by that don't realize that behind that facade, the entire building was torn down to the dirt and rebuilt. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's completely brand wow. new. And Hershey at that time ran Crave downstairs, and then I was beginning to build Sonoma Brands upstairs. Is, But that's not part of land that Darius owns for the hotel it or is. it is it is so it could get torn down no again. no 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 i'll we're permanently there oh okay yeah okay so it would so just it, go behind it and exactly in the so lot. Okay, yeah if that so happens. if that happens if that, or when knows? that happens yeah. it, there's but th- where we are mm-hmm. uh, alongside that lynch building right uh remains will yeah. remain yeah so they they stayed in sonoma um and that was an important part. They've since left right. <laughs> uh, more recently, but I, I did stay on yeah. uh, with Hershey for uh, a one year full time mm-hmm. and then one year as a consultant. Well, that must. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. But, but as you're staying on with them, they don't have like a non-compete thing with you or they're not worried about you coming out with another jerky brand or they're not worried about you starting Sonoma brands and maybe taking time away from what you're supposed to be doing for them. Yeah, they, they definitely had a non-compete. Yeah. Jerky. I kinda, yeah. So I had a five-year uh, non-compete, which I'm still in, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, they were, they were very accommodating in terms of supporting what Sonoma Brands was going to do. Hmm. Uh, we were partners in really deciding which employees wanted to stay with Hershey Crave and which mm-hmm. wanted to join me in my new journey. Um, and I still even to today collaborate with Hershey on a variety of ways. And oh, that's neat. will, you know, as you can imagine, uh, even in Sonoma Brands, when, when I'm out and about or raising funds or trying to invest into a company, Crave is a pretty important part mm-hmm. of my story. Mm-hmm. And therefore, Hershey's a, an right. important part of my story. And so together, we um, very much are, are partners. Well, and you're kind of like the closer in the dugout, right? Like, if, and also, you know, they know that you're probably going to innovate and come up with other yeah. products, and so keeping in touch with you, and and they're always keeping an eye on things, and probably saying, oh, you know, that looks like something that we might be interested in as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no question that that we are partners in this ecosystem, mm-hmm. and the these big strategics want to keep their own reputation and their own relationships alive, and so you're absolutely right. And like you said, they're not. it's not as easy for them to move quickly like you can in a smaller company, and then they can sort of jump in on the, on the back end and say, oh, 
look, all this legwork's done. Let's uh, let's see if we can acquire this uh, this product. Mm-hmm. What what was it like? I mean, did you learn a lot in that year? Like now, you went from creating your own company, you know, grassroots, and now this huge conglomerate, you know, Hershey's with all the products that they do. Was that useful as like a learning experience? Like, yeah, I think it it was on a uh, large scale. In, in some ways, maybe I, what I learned the most was understanding why us small companies can outmaneuver the big mm. companies because I was exposed to firsthand the bureaucracy right. that exists mm. in these big companies. Mm. And they exist for, I suppose, a good reason. They're publicly traded companies. They have to adhere to SEC regulations mm-hmm. and compliance. They have you know, tons of shareholders, so it's understandable, but oh my gosh, the level of red tape, the level of, of speed that we can deploy versus them is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll ever go public? No. no I think you want to keep it. I, I think um, some of the businesses inside right. of our portfolio, of the, right. uh, one, of, one or several of our 14 mm-hmm. companies, and that grows mm-hmm. uh, year by year, uh, will go public, right. but Sonoma Brands will remain. Stay as a yeah, yeah. It's so cool, isn't it cool? Well, and I see the products. I mean, let's. But I'm sort of confused as to are people coming to you with ideas, or are you looking out for ideas, or is it a combination of all of those things? And then you sort of bring people in and say, "Let's work together," and I think we can make this a more successful product. Yeah. So. Sourcing strategy, what Sonoma, how Sonoma Brands finds a company and invests in a company, um, is a, you know, we're all familiar with Shark Tank, right? These yeah. businesses mm-hmm. come in, and you go through that power sort of five minute pitch, and you have investors. Do you do that? that? Uh, we definitely have. Um, <laughs> On Tuesdays at five, <laughs> you can come down. No, and- I mean, we have every single week. We have entrepreneurs from around the country that are coming into Sonoma to pitch us. Oh wow. my God. Absolutely. Like you would hear could those be stories daily. about could Walmart, be you know, people sit out and yeah. Wow. And so definitely we have people approaching us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're primarily looking for capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're growth capital, so it's not debt. We're investing into the business, meaning that we own part of the business. And then what is probably even more important is the expertise and the relationships and the strategy that we have. And if you're a founder, um, you know, as founders, we're, look, we're concerned about control. We're concerned about dilution of our own ownership position. Mm-hmm. But if a founder has an exit in mind at some point in their career, then aligning with the right private equity or investor is a critical decision Mm -hmm. because we can help them get there faster. We can help Mm -hmm. add value into their enterprise. And is that appealing if they want to be exiting? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So you, like to a larger company, like if they're going to, they want to sell to someone else, you're going to help them get there. Absolutely. If that's what they want to do. 100%. So by, by a company receiving our capital, and we're going to see a thousand deals uh, and do one. 
So you can imagine right. the amount right. of businesses wow. and deals that would be that a fun we're job seeing. just to see all that. So stuff. we have to become experts. <laughs> it on. sounds like fun. I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I so think it's cool. Though. And we're going to invest. Yeah. Yeah. We believe that candidly, our returns are going to be north of three x. So for every okay. dollar we invest, right. we get three back. Right. And, and do so you have a time frame that you want to get we that do. back? Yeah, it's uh, five to seven years. It's oh, a pretty well, that's not that quick. I mean, it's short, but it's not. that's not unreasonable yeah. for someone to get their feet. Wow. Yeah. And so wow. different businesses have different mm-hmm. stages, right? I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes we're going to invest in a business that's very early stage. Maybe their revenues are five million. And then some of our businesses are much larger. And mm-hmm. our biggest one is 200 million wow. in revenue. Um, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. The um, so, you know, it's health and wellness, good for you. Um, what was the other thing you said? It was eco friendly. <laughs> Wait a minute. How was Smash Mallows good for you? Well, I did write that the <laughs> Smash Mallow, but it's a different sugar, or it's less sugar. It's an organic cane sugar. I think when when we think about what are we going to invest in. We're going to invest in truly iconic products, Mm -hmm. founders, and what we think are stories. And so Smash is a little bit different because that Mm -hmm. is internally incubated. Well, you have a young daughter, right? And and yeah. Yeah. And and so we've we've built that from within. So out of our 14 companies, three of those were invented, if you will, in-house. Oh, interesting. Wait, what was the other one? There was uh, there was the grape the, jerky and then the smash soup? mallow and uh, medley, which is the uh, the the soup gazpacho, and now we uh, have. Uh, was it called something different? Zupanoma. It was Zupanoma. Yeah. Now it's called medley. We call it medley because we have a much larger platform now mm-hmm. in spoonables and in shots, digestive shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's expanded. Uh, and then peckish, which is the uh, perfectly eggs. boiled snackable egg. Great name, by the way. It is such a great yeah. name. Peckish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, I was that whole, well, anyway, the, so when people come, like, what are, what are like the top three or four things that will pique your interest that you want to keep the conversation going? Okay, so first of all, we would consider ourselves jockey investors. So, what does that mean? We're going to look to the founder first Mm -hmm. and really see the level of authenticity, passion, charisma, uh, commitment, leadership skills, Mm -hmm. just the raw talent that are intangibles that Mm -hmm. are irreplaceable. Even if they're not successful at that point. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, behind that, of course, will be the product itself. Mm-hmm. And every product has to have a wow component. We're just not mm-hmm. me too investors, meaning that we're not going to invest into the 12th kombucha in the market. Right. So there has to be some level of innovation or disruption mm-hmm. or differentiation that sets it apart. And then it has to be in a category that we think is growing, that it's a big addressable market. We don't want to invest into a business that, that the U.S. size of market is $10 million, right? Mm-hmm. There's not enough space to grow. Mm-hmm. And we like brands that have 
the ability to be multi-platform so that you don't, if you're, you know, Sonoma Valley olive oil company, uh, you're, you're isolated generally into one skew olive oil. Right. We like brands that have the ability or permission to expand and stretch. Like in flavor and in just what it could be. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, Dang, which is a mm. brand, one of our first investments, yeah, started with coconut chips. And now they're now they've built a Thai-based snacking platform, and they have, you know, four different skew verticals out there, mm. from sticky rice chips to mm. uh, keto-friendly coconut bars to coconut chips, and we're coming out with a uh, cassava-based tortilla mm. chip, which is keto and paleo-compliant. <clears throat> so that brand has, you know, a platform play, the ability to stretch into multiple areas of the store. Is cassava, I mean, keto is no sugar, or there is some sugar, right? Yeah, there's keto? very, no added sugar. No added sugar. No Natural added sugar. sugar is okay, but no Natural, added yeah, sugar. Okay, because exactly. cassava does have sugar in yeah. its raw form. Yeah. Um. So... If you could eat anything that you would want to eat, like what is your, what's your meal? Like what's your favorite meal to eat? Just, Mexican food. Really? Yep. So you have to go to Mexico City. Have no, you I've been? Never been? I've never been. I've never. I just went. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. The food was incredible. Incredible. Different Mexican than here. Yeah. But you like the flavors of the I just spicy love the and spicy, the, the mm-hmm. fresh freshness mm-hmm. of the salsas and mm-hmm. the inclusions. I love kind of it, smashing it all together inside of a tortilla. Mm-hmm. Um, I it love, actually uh, is pretty much like a really healthy food it too. Is. Yep, which is amazing. You don't think of it that way, but other than the lard and like some of the you know, or the chimichanga, the deep fried yeah. stuff, you know, it's Yeah, there's definitely, healthy. if you can steer away from mm-hmm. the, the chips and yeah. the tortillas. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I mean, that's my favorite. I, mm-hmm. I have a total sweet tooth, so I love uh, my candies and uh-huh. my cookies. And, uh-huh. and I think if you look inside our portfolio, uh, you'll see a Smash Mallow, which we talked about briefly, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, a better for you right. version of right. candy because mm-hmm. we're not using high fructose corn syrup and there's right. no artificial ingredients. We invested into a beautiful business called Milk Bar, which... Oh, God, yeah, I know. So what, yeah, Milk Bar for people, like Christine Tosi started with David Chang yes. at Momofuku. Yes. And, um, I mean, talk about another major success story david chang is like have yeah. you met him yes oh he's got is he incredible yeah he's very he's just real is he like real like if you see him on he's his just, tv show he yep. seems the same he's the same just yeah what you see is a little what bit got. stoned a little he's bit very just doing yeah, yeah yeah he's so i mean but what a great story and like her I, I listened to a podcast. I think she was on um, How I Built This, I yeah, think. she was. Oh, my God. It was, you have to listen to it if you haven't heard that episode. I mean, it makes you want to just, like, be her friend because she's, like, committed, and she cooked for everybody at Staff Meal, would make yep. these crazy desserts and incredible. So what? What? So where do you go with that? So... From a business standpoint, From, like the, right. the, the, the strategy here, uh, which is 
perfectly aligned with Christina's strategy. So when we met, it was just a perfect marriage for our businesses because she right now has 18 brick and mortar locations, primarily in New York, but she has Vegas. She has one I've in Vegas. One in. She has one uh, a, a larger flagship store in Hollywood. She has several in D.C., one in Boston, and, and a handful in Toronto. Um, and a, a very much uh, growing website digital business. So she has a following that is unlike any brand I've ever seen. It's a fanatical following. Mm-hmm. They, people fall in love with the brand. They fall in love with her. With it's her? So She's just so down to earth. She creates the extraordinary out of the ordinary, right? right? Cookies aren't a new thing to the marketplace. Right. But what she does and how she does it creates... Um, memories memory and a, such a joyful moment that it's repeatable and shared within mm-hmm. your your network yeah brian and, she did um like the milk cereal milk like she was the first person to really yeah. go wow what did we do with all this cereal milk how do i get this flavor yeah. and translate it okay i remember working with pastry chefs at the four seasons in san francisco in the early 2000s where we started playing around with Lucky Charms and Fruit mm-hmm. Loops and sort of how to get those flavors into your upper scale desserts. Right. And it was it was kind of a fun thing for the pastry chefs at the time. It was like they were, you know, they got that sparkle in their eye like they were kids again getting to play mm-hmm. with the yeah. um, with with those cereals, yeah. Yeah, and she really mm. did. I mean, she and her crack pie. Yep. Oh my god. And she, does is she use all organic? No. No, so Mm-mm. she's just Using no. whatever so, you can get. Yeah, I mean, she's using clean ingredients, mm-hmm. uh, but but she did not have that organic label mm-hmm. on the products that are inside the brick and mortar and the digital mm-hmm. uh, platform. So why we invested and sort of what mm-hmm. brought us together in the play, if you will, is this brand now is ready to emerge into traditional CPG, meaning retail, grocery okay. stores around the country. And so... It, here we have this brand wow. that is has more household awareness than many other brands that we've studied, like RX Bar or Tate's Cookies mm-hmm. or, or other brands. And a brand that can enter cookie, truffle, pie, mixes, frozen, all kind of frozen yeah, many, dairy, many different yeah. areas. So Shakes. we invested mm-hmm. into uh, her company last quarter in uh, the fall of 2019. And we have already designed a lineup of SKUs. We're mm. launching globally at Whole Foods in April. Wow. Uh, and we expect to roll out many other banners uh, at the end of the year and, you know, and into the future. How, how is working with Whole Foods now that Amazon purchased? Is it different? I think it is a bit different. It's, it's, you know, a lot of these stores move back and forth from a decentralized buying office to a centralized buying mm-hmm. office. And so they've re-centralized the buying office back to Austin. So a lot of mm-hmm. the, not every area of the store, but mm-hmm. most store areas or categories of mm-hmm. the store now are bought by a centralized global buyer. Mm. Um, obviously they're much more aggressive in terms of pricing pricing and margin requirements. There's a connectivity to the mm-hmm. Amazon business. They keep them very separate, but mm-hmm. you can imagine with the relationship of prime, right? 
that, you know, if you have an Amazon platform in your brand, that it's going to help mm. you at Whole Foods. Mm. You know, the, the whole grocery business is, is shifting and changing so fast. And just as we see major steps forward in, in organic and this transparency of ingredients mm-hmm. that I've talked about, we see some of the larger better for you specialty grocery stores file for bankruptcy mm-hmm. like you know earth fair just yeah filed and and so fairway in new york and yeah so like what 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 do you see like 5 years from now i think what's happened is is organic and better for you has been so democratized now mm-hmm. that you know your average safeway or kroger or you know any major grocery store in your town now has those offerings so it mm-hmm. doesn't give that differentiation to the specialty retailers as much. So I think the best brands that are looking to grow in this space have to have on their teams uh, a a content creation uh, component. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't use the digital infrastructure as your main channel of distribution, you have to have digital thinkers uh, to create that virality of your Mm -hmm. brand you have to constantly innovate and the digital framework allows you to create lto limited time offers much Mm -hmm. more efficiently Mm -hmm. than working through traditional Uh, but i think what we're seeing now and we've invested in our portfolio in a few digitally native brands meaning they're Mm -hmm. only sold online interesting uh, and we're seeing the acquisition costs of those customers skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as efficient as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in a lot of public companies, not in food and beverage, but mm-hmm. even Casper a couple of weeks back. The, mat- the mattress went, company. That went public to disappointing results. So omni-channel, which is an industry term that that we use, but what it means is that you've deployed three distinct channels you have a brick and mortar component Mm -hmm. you have a digital component and you have a cpg component whereas maybe five years ago Mm. you didn't have the bandwidth to focus on all three you focused on one you were Mm -hmm. like i'm a brick and mortar operator my Mm -hmm. objective is to open up more doors or i'm a digital company i'm just focusing on my digital efforts Mm -hmm. the best businesses in our minds today needs to be ambidextrous to all three we call it omni-channel mm-hmm. so milk bar is an omni-channel mm-hmm. business they have 18 doors we're going to open up more mm-hmm. absolutely wow we have treat trucks uh similar to what you have mm-hmm. that roam around the country oh, creating experiences mm-hmm. we definitely have a digital business and mm-hmm. we're building the mm-hmm. cpg retail business well it, it's interesting because i would go i didn't go to the food show this year i would go every year i mean there were years that we were in it with our products and what a drag that whole thing is is yeah. to you know look at all those people and you know you're just fighting for the attention of someone to see your stuff yeah. but um and I would just go to walk the show to see what's new, what's different, like what's exciting or where the trends are going. And it's really muddy. I mean, it's definitely muddy. There's so much to see. And I, I like, I'm terrible. Like Instagram, I can see something on Instagram and I can be persuaded to buy it. Mm-hmm. There was this, um, actually it wasn't on Instagram. It's called Verb. Have you heard mm. that? Mm-mm. Oh, I wish I brought some. 
it, it was on, um, it was, they were promote, they were a sponsor for this newsletter I read every day about all different news and they have sponsors and it's like, oh, you have to try verb. It's this high protein. It's caffeinated. Oh. Actually, it only has two grams of protein, but anyway, they're small bars and they, it's all on text. They text you, you text when you're interested and then they text you back and say, Hey, a bot texts you and says, you're going to get a text from one of the founders. I don't know how long they could possibly <laughs> keep this going, well. but they were talking about this gingerbread flavor that was like for the holidays. And I love ginger. So I'm like, Oh my God, I got to go try these. And it was a totally different channel that, but like what you see on Instagram, even like the influencers talking about things where, you know, you're hearing about things for the first time. And so not TV commercials anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, not ads in the newspaper, not on the radio station. I mean, it's really changed. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's no, that's trillion. why I say even for a brand that its strategy is to go into traditional CPG retail, you have to have that content team on mm. the digital side to mm-hmm. create those relationships right. because it is meaningful. I can tell you that when we go in and sit down, whether it's at Target, I was just up in Minneapolis last week with Christina mm. meeting with Target. And when they sit down and they, very much look at the Instagram account of the person of the brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have 1.3 million followers. It's, outrageous. it's like a small, you know, TV network. Yeah. The amount of eyeballs. Yeah. Every time she posts something, you know, about a million people are going to see it. Yeah. And these retailers are very bright. They know that if they're a first mover into one of these brands, and you have a strong social following mm-hmm. that you can, you're a partner, you're driving traffic to their doors mm-hmm. and they'll make purchasing decisions. They'll take a higher risk on a brand mm-hmm. if there's a stronger social platform inside that company. Wow. Hands down. Wow. Is it, it's not as important. I get, well, I don't know for Sonoma brands to have that presence. Are you more focused in getting each of your, on the portfolio? Our goal would be that Sonoma Brands to the consumer doesn't even exist. They don't even know who we are. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Because we're behind the scenes. The entrepreneurs inside Fancy Food or Expo West or some of the major shows, if you talk to a founder of of an up-and-coming brand, like who they want to partner with, Mm -hmm. then very much we want Sonoma Brands to be top of mind. Right, to be there. But yeah, we hero the brands. Uh, we step in and use every resource we have, which at this point now are, is immense, mm-hmm. to help them. You know, where, wherever they're weak, they may be uh, behind in their development of supply chain. It may mm-hmm. be sales and marketing in the trade. Uh, there's a lot of different factors that mm-hmm. go into obviously growing a business. But we like to be. Uh, you know, what we call ourselves a toolbox. And so Mm -hmm. we'll have every tool available depending Mm -hmm. upon what the company needs. And, okay, you go. I want to look at my questions. I'm curious, though. You've got all these people that are sort of coming to you, but what is the last thing where you saw something out in the market and said, ooh, I really want to talk to these people and see if we can make this happen? Thank you for bringing that back. I didn't fully answer that question. Mm -hmm. So definitely people coming to us is, is a big part of what we do. But probably more in fact what we actually invest in 
is a result of us going to those companies. So Milk Bar, we went to them. Oh. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could go through our portfolio. You know, we have a beautiful brand called Guayaki Yerba Mate. Uh, you know that. Which you know that. We all know Who that. Who doesn't know yeah, it? Everybody I mean, knows that. I yeah. mean, it's a Sonoma County brand, right? So I, I don't know one person at the Fairmont that I work with that isn't drinking it <laughs> yeah. during it's, shift. So I've never had one of those. Oh, you haven't? <laughs> no. You're the Gosh, only you person. you off this, buy bubbles and then the key <laughs> mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely something. <laughs> buy bubbles. <laughs> the... Um, so go ahead. So so you're so, out. You're looking for absolutely. You get so more we're excited. Yeah. When so you as you might it. imagine, I mean, just just a thirty seconds of technicality. We buy every month what we call Nielsen IRI data, and so we buy it on a national standpoint. And then inside that data compilation, compilation is a channel focused approach. So we can study grocery, specialty, Mm. natural mass, convenience club, and then on a demographic standpoint and geographic standpoint. So we can get laser focused and surgical on exactly what we're looking for. So we're constantly, how do they get that data? We have to well, we have to buy it. Yeah, but where are they? How are they making That's it? What they focus on is that. So they. So it's a revenue source that grocery stores don't all, often share. Is they're selling. Their sale, they're selling like their, that registered data. Okay, got it. To a firm like Nielsen IRI. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So within that data, we are able to uncover performance hurdles or velocity per point of distribution. A lot of different metrics that we're going to be studying. Uh, and all of that is to identify a business or a category that's surging, right? We're looking mm-hmm. around corners trying to see something that the market doesn't see yet. Hmm. So where do you fall on the whole vegan plant-based world yeah. that is shattering? Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, it's in our face every day. Yeah. Is it going to go crazy? I think it's a phenomenon. I mean, just even if you're a Wall Street thinker to see what Beyond Meat did in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, six months. um, I do think it's here to stay, hands down. There's no Mm -hmm. question about it. I think um, the consumer, and and earlier in this session we talked about the millennials Mm -hmm. uh, driving this different purchasing behavior demanding transparency of ingredients, demanding mm-hmm. something better for our environment, really ready to make their vote with their wallet. And I think the plant-based movement definitely is right alongside mm-hmm. in that movement. Now, are some of these products actually, in fact, better for you? I than don't think so. a grass-fed, you know, no... Um, Steroid injected mm-hmm. antibiotic, yeah. I don't think so. Right. I don't. I'm not going right. to go that far. Is it like the stuff they're making in the lab? I just yeah. have a hard time with that. I think there's. I mean, I'm not an expert in the in the area, but I do know that that cattle is one of the biggest emitters of CO2 mm-hmm. in our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know what's happening down in South America to mm-hmm. you know prepare more land for cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, raising and so I think there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. I think how big it will get, I don't know. Will it ever exceed? Could you see you investing in a vegan company? I I, I definitely uh, like 
a business like Dang will call itself a plant-based okay, that's true. Uh, yeah. company. So the, it has definitely democratized itself. The mm-hmm. words plant-based, mm-hmm. uh, vegan, dairy-free, plant, mm-hmm. you know, meat alternatives. There's all kinds of descriptors now. But I do think the size of this business is huge. Unfortunately, when something like this happens, though, is so much money and so much competition comes mm-hmm. in that as an investor, we have to, we don't want to be the 10th person right. to make a, a vegan right. chicken nugget. Right. I mean, they're, they're out there. It'll be very interesting to see how well. It's fascinating. I these... mean, we had, um, we had Miyoko on the show oh, right. yeah. and she, I mean, she, what a pistol that woman is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We had a dinner with them and now she's in that lawsuit suing California for her freedom of speech of what she can put on the labels, which is pretty interesting. I saw that. And you know what was interesting? And I had never thought of this, and I don't think we had talked about it, that she said, why aren't you suing uh, Jif or whatever for peanut butter? It's not butter. Right. It's not dairy-based. So right. why are you coming after me? Interesting. Right. I didn't mm. think of that. Mm. But yeah, she, um, I mean, it, it's... There, there's a group of wine country, and it's funny because it's it's macro, but right now it's like micro because it's within our community. So, I mean, we keep running into vegan and plant-based producers, and there's this core of wine country folks that mm-hmm. are really into it and are really trying to get a level of wine country. And as a restaurateur, I mean, we've watched the first thing really was... I guess vegetarian. I guess that would have been the first, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And then it became um, aller- you know, a lot of allergy stuff. And that filters in nuts and whatever. And now it's vegan. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we have to have all of those options. Because it, for the first 10 years, we were like, screw that. You know, we're yeah. going to do what we want to do. And if they, you know, maybe we're not the right restaurant for them. But as the consumer is shifting so much and consumers have so much information and education now, they can really figure it out. We have to accommodate. I mean, otherwise we're going to be left at, you know, the train station back there, I think. So it's... You're right. Consumers are are expecting that now. Mm -hmm. So Um, I went to a restaurant in the city called Wild Seed, completely vegan. And now there's another restaurant. It's called Shai Zen, which Mm. is Japanese. I I don't even know what to call it. Plant-based sushi. How is that even possible? Yeah. It sounds like you're doing research. I am not doing research. It is coming to me. It is coming to me. Okay. And I'm just like, they're trying to turn me into a vegan, <laughs> which is not going to happen. But um, we were in a room with 55 vegans. And I was just like, I'm not giving up my steak. I can't yeah. do it yet. But there's a new vegan jerky company. Oh, there's many. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I tasted the vegan mushroom. charcuterie. Oh, yeah. that's It's terrible. It, it was just, oh, yeah, I was I couldn't yeah. do it. I couldn't do it. And I support these people for making the effort and trying. But it, I don't know. It's like insects. Mm-hmm. Where do you think insects are? Going? I think it's largely over. There was do you a, think the crickets have come and gone? I think definitely phase one has come and gone. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a way in phase two for crickets 
to emerge as a protein source for right, pets. For flour. Oh, Maybe. oh, interesting. I think so. Uh-huh. That's our bets huh. are huh. on a more everyday basis there. Right. But I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about a, a bit ago and like the product has to wow you yeah. no matter what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. If, if I don't think people are going to really change their eating habits mm-hmm. and consumption trends permanently mm-hmm. if they put their mouth into an impossible burger and it's substandard. Right. If, and I think some, that's why impossible and beyond are doing so well is because most of the consumers actually eat that and feel like, you know, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, pretty and, close. And I feel better about the environment, the environment, and my body. Maybe not knowing all the facts, but mm-hmm. for those decisions. But but anything like plant based jerky that I've, or you know, they're all kinds of things from mushrooms to mm-hmm. pea based and so forth. They just aren't good. I don't yeah. think those win in the long run. And and I don't understand the need to. I mean, if you're a vegan, you're saying you don't want to kill animals. Then why are we wanting to simulate? the killing of an animal to eat. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You, it's sort of the conversion process, I guess. It's that you're maybe people that aren't vegan that are trying to be vegan have something that's, you know, that, that, that sort of tastes like something that's familiar to them when there's other things that you can be eating. If you're vegan, then you're, you don't want to eat meat. So why are we making products that are simulating right. meat? It seems like it's sort of, it's a, it's, it's just a, it's one of those things that's trying new, to pull people over class, to like vegan new, and then sort of right. get them on the team. Right. Um, but, but yeah, and, and yeah. then, you know, there's a there's a new product that will be out. I don't, it's not going to be anytime soon, but I heard about this on NPR the other day where they will send a kit to your house. You will swab the inside of your mouth and you can grow your own meat. That's disgusting. At home that is basically made out of your from saliva. You. Yeah. Okay, that is weird. But think about it. Now, Now it sounds totally strange, and you can talk about you know movies in the past, Soylent Green, all this. Um, but, but think about the money and the... There's no farm, there's no animal, there's no methane, there's no feed, there's no trucks, there's no Well, there's going to have to be there's something no, other you know than saying? my saliva. But, but think about just the thought process is you're cutting out all of these things. Okay, well, we'll wait and see <laughs> Just, that episode. That you doesn't know, yeah. sound possible. Sort of, I sort of thought a of it kid. in terms of kegging wine. So for me, it was you're, you're getting rid of the box, you're getting rid of the glass, you're getting rid of the cork, the foil, the, you're getting rid of all of these things. So there's definitely positives as long as mm-hmm. it's... Um, for, for me, the problem with kegs is it, it never showed in the price reduction. But Right, yeah. <laughs> right that is true. Yeah. What about, so what would you tell someone that thinks they have like the next product? You know, they, mm-hmm. they want to go on Shark Tank or they want to, mm-hmm. they need investors. What would you tell them to do to prepare for that? Shall we pick a product and kind of go through it? Yeah. yeah. What product? Okay. You, um, you play the entrepreneur and think of the next product that you want to release. That I want to we'll release? Like, seriously, like me? Well, okay. Like, how could I turn, since you're asking, how could I turn our (laughs) cookies? Mm. Well, you have a cookie company, but we have the the amazing cookies, the crisp chocolate 
chip cookies with sea salt. Amazing. Yep. We sell a ridiculous amount of them, but they have a really short shelf life. So how do I go? Like, does the world need another cookie or another Oreo type cookie or another ginger cookie? But, but, but selling a cookie at a time or five cookies at a time. Yep. So what no, I think, I, I mean, uh, I mean, for starters, I think an investor, if we're going to mock uh, Shark Tank here would would be interested because the cookie space is a twelve billion dollar space wow. in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So the first step for any entrepreneur is understand the size of the category in mm-hmm. our market, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for all entrepreneurs, we need to focus just on the U.S. I hear so many companies right. that start thinking about Asia or Europe too early. Yeah. It's just focus on the U.S. The second is like. Describe in like 30 or 60 seconds why your product is going to um, replace in a consumer decision journey the incumbent. Because what's Mm -hmm. happening is retailers, consumers are ready to trade up. There is a premiumization movement happening in every category. And so if there's a wow factor that your crisp sea salt chocolate chip cookie you put it in the mouth it's just like blow your mind mm-hmm. amazing inside then do you have supply figured out can you scale mm-hmm. uh, or is it made in like a commissary where mm-hmm. you can put out you know a couple pallets a week but that's about it you know mm-hmm. margins come into play mm-hmm. uh, retail pricing strategy are we going to go after you know understand the competition retail versus wholesale Um, and yeah i mean distribution yeah but i mean uh, the consumer retail price Mm -hmm. because are you going after like milk bar is going after tates so Mm. our price point tates is a oh yeah tates are delicious yeah from the hamptons a big company yeah mondelez bought that 18 months ago for 500 million dollars oh my god in the marketplace when you look at the data it is absolutely Chips Ahoy, right. Oreos. Mm-hmm. All of these big incumbent Pepperidge Farms are declining. Because so the net more the be, neutral or the yeah, more homemade. Because these younger generations, they don't, it's a liability. These mm-hmm. big brands, Chips Ahoy is a liability. Nabisco mm-hmm. is a liability. They don't stand for anything. They're, mm-hmm. They aren't authentic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Girl in the Fig, that brand is so authentic. Consumers mm-hmm. love it. There, there's a relationship. Mm-hmm. They're going to support that other than an alternative brand, but so long as the price points, right? Right. That the wow factor is right. Do you have distribution figured out? Show me the data. Mm -hmm. Where have you been? Well, Mm -hmm. I'm in 50 doors. That's a pretty good sample size. Mm -hmm. What's happening in those 50 doors? Are you cannibalizing base business in Mm -hmm. that door? Mm -hmm. Are you bringing in a new user? Because retail buyers... Their job is to grow incremental profits. Mm-hmm. That's their job. Mm-hmm. And they largely feel that if one brand steps in and simply cannibalizes another brand, they're just treading water. So right. the amount of effort to do that isn't worth the result. Mm-hmm. You know? But if you're driving a premium price point or you're bringing new users into the category or mm-hmm. the users are... Because your cookies are so good, they're eating them mm-hmm. every day instead of every four days. Mm-hmm. Understanding that, that trial, the repeat purchasing mm-hmm. rate, what's happening in the category, that data story is super important. And so if you're going to Shark Tank, you want to have your data down. 
Yeah, and they they really. Yeah, they. <clears throat> they don't like when you don't know your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I don't know. It it's definitely above me, above my head. I don't think so. Oh, thank you, John. I, I <laughs> you can do whatever you want I to just, do. No, I, I just know. Think you're I doing mean, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it. There's definitely some translation, you know, of how you just do something in a kitchen. I mean, granted, we started making our jams in our kitchens, and then mm-hmm. we found a co-packer, and then the co-packer was like, "Oh my God, you're not making enough. It's costing us more money to clean the line." you know, then to do your product and yeah, no. you, we can't charge you enough. It's not going to make sense. Take it back to your kitchens. We took it back to the kitchen. So we went from supply and demand to demand and supply. And then now, you know, we're with another co-packer that's, you know, small. We're still doing small I think batch. it boils down to your strategy. Because you, a, a lot of our companies, when we see the product, that wows the consumer mm-hmm. when we see a founder that is just so full of life and mm-hmm. passion and charisma and authenticity we will invest our capital to support the business while it sells its products at a negative margin mm-hmm. meaning it costs more to make than wow. actually selling it for mm-hmm. because you point out a huge obstacle that entrepreneurs face which is well if i need a 40% margin mm-hmm. and i'm only making small batch quantities you're mm-hmm. never going to get there right yeah. it's the chicken or the egg and you have to you have to lead the to consumer the first curve. yeah the consumer votes first mm-hmm. and stores make decisions based on performance at other stores it's a wow. finicky business nobody wants to lead they want to follow did and you so, learn a lot of this when you were getting your mba or do you think it's it, more doing it i think it's doing it yeah i mean i learned some some basic principles mm-hmm. of running a P&L and cash flow statements mm-hmm. and balance sheet. But, but inside what we're talking about right. is just in the streets. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. So, you know, that's when that day comes, mm-hmm. you know, just, I would always encourage, you know, try it out. You know, if you have a co-packer that can scale with you and as you look mm-hmm. at, you know, 10 X production, 50 X production, and then the right. cost start to dive. You know, you can look mm-hmm. at your cash flow and support taking right. a negative margin, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on what you what the, yeah. the entrepreneur wants. Yeah, hard hard to know, yeah. but fun. So, do, can you tell what's the next product? You have any <clears throat> secrets that people uh, can hear it first here? <laughs> plant, yeah, plant a seed. <laughs> no, we won't. We won't put you on the spot for that. Yeah, wait, he yeah. was gonna answer you, I and know, then you back down. I would feel, I would feel like, guilty. I'm gonna try to like flirt a little bit, and like, actually, yeah, flirt, flirt with us. <laughs> I mean, we we really think one of the trends <clears throat> that is permanent, and it's not really an ingredient trend. It's the expression of freshness Mm. that is resulted and communicated best in refrigeration. Mm. And when you look at some of like Whole Foods or Sonoma Market here, they have huge refrigerated grab-and-go sections. Mm -hmm. And I think that snack and decadence is moving refrigerated. And so there's Mm. a brand uh, of... Mm. She, in fact, the founder reminds me of you a lot. Oh, no. Uh, full of life, charisma. <laughs> and, I mean, all mm. these words I've been using today. But it's in a refrigerated grab-and-go snack. tapioca pudding? It 
You're you're close. Oh, it's, it's my it's, trifle. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is. Oh, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's coming soon. I think. Coming soon. Yeah, that's going to be the death of me. Tapioca pudding, that cozy cozy yeah. shack. Oh, that's my favorite that food. That, in any the, oh my god, it's cozy. everywhere. Safe. I mean, it's at Oliver's. It's okay. <laughs> Oliver's. You heard from? that again. Cozy shack. I don't know where they make it, but oh. it is the most delicious they do tapioca. tapioca. A they do a rice pudding. pudding. I just don't like it's, tapioca pudding. But. They rebranded. Mm. You don't like tapioca pudding? No, my parents told me when I was a kid that the way they made tapioca pudding was that they squeezed. I don't know if it was my parents. It might have been my sister. That you squeezed snakes until their eyes popped out, that and that's so what those little wow. things were in tapioca. No. And so, I mean, oh my God. would never touch it, and still to this day have it. Just yeah. it's a you know, it's one of those visceral. When you get it yeah. in your mouth, you just <laughs> yeah, no, it's a texture. Cozy, well, you can't really have that now, but it is. It's just it feels like my childhood. Yeah. I think when things evoke that. Yeah. Um, even though we might, it was probably Jello pudding pack. We, my mom was probably making instant tapioca, right. but it's like really good. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. taste like instant, but I don't know. But it's it's cool. You wonder when you go down the chip aisle, you wonder how many more potato chips could there possibly be? Yeah. yeah. But then the next <clears throat> week, there's something else. Somebody's trying it. Again, it's 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 kind of like the wine space where. Mm-hmm. When you have a category that's so big, you know, in the salty snack space is like a $60 billion U.S. space. So there's all these micro trends that mm-hmm. step in this great brand, Siete, that's been able to create a lot of these paleo platform mm-hmm. chip mm-hmm. products. So there's always an angle to step in, but it's, it's extremely expensive. It's fierce competition, mm-hmm. like the wine space, and it takes a ton of capital to even right. think about doing it. To get there. So... You know, anybody that's got a, you know, a, a, a dream of building a food or beverage or consumer product, mm. it's like start really small, mm-hmm. really just focus on 50 or 75 stores that you can monitor, you can watch, mm. you can talk to the managers, mm-hmm. you can do your own demos and really see mm-hmm. what the consumer is doing and really focus on that consumer buying it the third time. Not the first time. That's right. That's, right. that's people, easy, yeah, right? But it's the third or fourth time mm-hmm. where people start to make permanent decisions. Right. And then from there, you got to think about capital. Mm-hmm. If your objective what? is to go national right. and become a player, because this, mm-hmm. no matter what space you're in, it just takes money. Money, money, mm-hmm. money. Money doesn't grow on trees. I wish Did you ever would. hear that? I, I know. Would. Well, for a lot nice. of people, for Somebody certainly, that. yeah, that would be a good invention. That could really happen. Well, this was so informative, my God. I know we could go on. I didn't even ask about like hemp and CBD because. I know that's another continuing to emerge in the food space in very scary way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and, and we've had a lot of young entrepreneurs on this show that I think this is this will be a good show yeah, for them to exactly. listen to. Exactly, I think so too. Um, and um, you know, we've we interviewed Eileen Gordon from Barn Razor mm-hmm. and how their you know incubation and getting yeah. people on there. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really nice to see all the creativeness coming out. And still, one of my favorite products, Rebel. Yeah, yeah. Rebel. Yeah. 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 Who'd you Such interview a, there? Rusty. Rusty Porter. Yeah. 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 Such a great awesome. story. Yeah. 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 
And the products that are great. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's some cool stuff. And uh, you know Mama Chia? Of course. Yeah, yeah. my brother has an investment in okay. that company. I don't know what's happening. I think she's endgame somewhere. Mm. Rusty works with me at Crave. I don't know if you knew that. Still? No, did. Or did. did. Oh, oh no. yeah. That's when I met her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I met her way back when. Yeah. And I'm sure she's the one that brought us into that event. And then. Yeah, exactly. But That's I don't right. think she's even at Rebel anymore. She's not. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think so. Yeah. That was the last time we were at the Fancy yeah. Food Show. That was over. Was yeah. Over that. a year ago. Yeah. But so many creative people and it's so exciting and. Well, maybe we'll have to have you back. So I'd love to just talk about branding. And if it's awesome. And if people have a product out there and they want to get in touch with you, how, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Just email to hello at sonomabrands.com. And as I mentioned earlier, we regularly invite people in. Uh, We aim to be helpful. uh, And that can be in a variety of different ways. So, um, you know, certainly eat, give us an email. You can come in, show us your stuff. We can share our thoughts around the product, the category, the future, and maybe someday become partners. Yeah, Very that cool. sounds like a great opportunity, anyone out there. If you want to listen to previous episodes of our show, you can always go to the radiomisfits.com or you can go directly to thebikegoeson.com. Give us a rating. Sandra, we've got the ratethispodcast.com slash the bike goes on leave us a nice rating it'll help us out if you have any ideas for the shows some future guests that you'd like to see on here just drop us a line sandra john Brian, thank you very much john, thank you thank yeah you. no good conversation so fun, today. So fun. All right, look forward to talking to you next week